Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're going to wrap up our series called Prince of Peace. I've had several people come up. I had a guy walk up to me, a good friend of mine walk up to me just before I came out, and he said, man, I have so enjoyed this Christmas series. And uh, that's my hope. You know, I hope that, that when we do these things that they mean something to you, that you learn a little something. And this series has been about peace, how, do you, how to figure out how to remove the obstacles in our life, the obstacles to peace. What do we do? What do you have to do to have peace in your life? Because I have a feeling that a lot of people aren't experiencing that. You know, we, we grew up singing the Christmas songs. I've been singing Christmas songs my whole life, and there's some really great sentiments in there, but the words, you know, some of the words that get used, they're lofty and pretty and shiny, and sometimes my life doesn't feel like that. Sometimes my faith doesn't feel like that. And sometimes you get a Christmas card, you open it up, and it's got these beautiful sayings, these beautiful, you know, there's a manger scene, you open it up, and there's something beautifully written, sometimes scriptures in there, all the Christmas words. But I'm thinking to myself that few people really experience the the full joy that should be ours because of the Christmas season. The ideal Christmas is this bright, cheery, lovely, calm, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. That's the ideal. I'm not sure that everybody is experiencing that. Most people, I think, are talking about chaos and anxiety and finances or the lack thereof, Uh, family members that you will miss this year because they're not with you anymore. And I realize that for some of, of you, the holidays come and it just makes it harder for you because you, you're, you're without someone that has meant so much to you, and my heart hurts for you. And I know that at Christmas time, especially, that kind of pain and that kind of lack of peace can, can be there to be experienced. The list goes on of the things that can steal and rob our peace from us. For a lot of people, it's, it's not a season that is very merry, and for some would say it's certainly not cheerful. And it's not peaceful. In fact, I'm wondering how many people I actually know that could describe their life as peaceful. There are not very many people that if you asked them, hey, how are you doing, would come back with the answer, dude, I'm living in peace. I have so much peace. Everything's calm. I'm not worried about anything. Everything's fine. I just have this peace. Actually, the scriptures say we're supposed to be at peace. Scripture describes peace as, as part of the Christian experience, something that we should be experiencing. So there, there has to be a disconnect somewhere, right? If, if that's what we're supposed to experience, but we would say, well, I, I'm not feeling that, then somewhere there's a disconnect. We know it's supposed to be there. It's an ideal. It's more than just a song. So what's the disconnect? Well, that's kind of what we're trying to tackle in this series. We started the series off with Luke chapter 2. There's an announcement about the birth of Christ. And it comes in verse 13. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. And, and mo- then most people have always thought that what comes after that is, and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But we've learned that that's not what comes after it. Now we've thought that because we watched Charlie Brown, and that's what Charlie Brown said. But it actually says, and on earth, peace. And we learned in this series that there's really no such thing as peace on the earth. 
that there have been 3,500 years of history, and in that 3,500 years, of that last 3,500 years, only 286 years have we had no wars on the earth. The earth is not a peaceful place. It's a violent place. In fact, there's only one place in Scripture where the phrase, peace on earth, exists. It appears one time in Scripture. You want to hear it? Jesus said it. Luke 12, verse 51, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. It's like, okay. No, Jesus' goal was not to bring peace on earth. That's not why he came. Jesus came so that while you live on this earth in a, in a world that is not very peaceful, you would have peace. You would have peace. So, so how do we get there? The way that verse reads is, on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. So in week one, what we were talking about is, well, if, if, if those who have peace are the ones that have his favor, then how do I get his favor? What's that all about? How do I get that? I want that. On planet earth, where there's very little peace, peace comes with the favor of God. How do I get the favor of God? And if you didn't hear that message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. It would bring you up to speed and help you understand what, what today is about. We also discovered in this series that, that peace is a gift, that, that Jesus worked pretty hard to be able to, to bring us peace. And it's been my prayer throughout this series that by the time we were done, you would be able to say that if someone walked up to you and said, hey, what did you get for Christmas this year that you really, really loved, that you would be able to say, you know what? <laughs> I got some cool gifts. Best thing I got, I'm at peace. I have peace. My soul is at rest. I'm not worked up. I, I'm not anxious. I'm not bitter. I'm not any of those things. I have peace. In fact, Brett, it's the best gift I got all year. We looked at John 14 last week, verse 27. I'm leaving. This is Jesus talking. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't fragile like the peace the world gives. It's not the world's peace. The world's peace is counterfeit. It's fake. It's not real. Jesus says, this peace isn't fragile like that. This is genuine. This, I'm leaving you with something that's very, very special. And then in week two, we talked about this idea that and it's probably something that some people would rather I have skipped because we talked about being a peacemaker. Now we're talking about being a peacemaker. Now we're talking about forgiveness. And really, nobody loves it when the preacher talks about forgiveness. <laughs> Can I clue you in on a secret? The preacher doesn't love it when the preacher preaches on, for forgiveness, on forgiveness because I have people I have to forgive too. And, and before I preach anything to you, it gets preached to me long before it ever gets preached to you. I don't get up here like, I don't struggle with these things. Like, I am so much more spiritual than you. Dude, if you knew some of the stuff I struggle with, you wouldn't listen to me on Sunday. You'd go, get, what, get him off, you know, shepherd's crook. Get him off the stage. Because we all struggle with this stuff. But you can't leave it out. You can't leave out the part about being a peacemaker. Scripture says there is no peace without being a peacemaker. Matthew 5, Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. He's doing those, the things we call the Beatitudes. And he comes to, um, I believe it's verse 4, verse 5 there in Matthew 5, where he, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And he uses that word blessed. We looked at this last week. The word blessed, there's two ways that word can go in Greek. One way is the word um, eulageo, 
And eulogeo is about, uh, uh, you know, when you, when you have material things, you, you've been, you have material blessings, you would say, I'm eulogeo. I'm where we get the word eulogy, but, but it's about being, living a blessed life, having a material blessing. But that's not the word that Jesus used when he said, blessed are the peacemark makers. He uses the word, the Greek word was makarios, makarios, which means in spite of your circumstances, you are happy. See, a lot of times happiness is um, attached to our circumstances. If our circumstances is good, then we're happy. If our circumstances aren't good, then we're not happy. Makarios is different than that. There's a joy there. There's a, you know, there's a, regardless of what I'm going through as an individual, I have, I'm, I have blessing. And Jesus talked about, he said, he actually said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, which means they, they, these are the ones that get it. They understand where true joy, where true blessedness comes from. They're making peace. And we learned that that, that word, um, peacemaker, really, it, it means to reconcile. Reconcile means to bring the balance to zero. It means, you know, you owe me but I'm not going to recognize that anymore. As far as I'm concerned, you don't owe me anymore. And I would just tell you that I think it's true that in most churches, and I would say in our church, there are people who need to understand what reconcile means, and you need to do that with some people. It's, it's this idea that, you know, we talk about conflict resolutions. Well, Brad, I want the conflict to be resolved. Well, that would be great. You know, two people sit down, they work out their differences, they're able to talk and hug it out. That'd be wonderful. But I'm telling you, that can never happen until there's been reconcile. Until in your mind, before you ever have the sit down, you've already said, they don't owe me anymore. I'm going to bring the balance to zero. Every person, so what would it look like in your world if you went to every person that, that in your mind relationally owes you? They owe me. They hurt me. I, I'm not going to forgive them until they apologize. I'm not going to forgive them until they make it right. They owe me. What would it look like if you went to all those people and you said, you know what, not even if you went to them, but if you, in your mind, if you just said, they don't owe me anymore. Because here's what I can tell you. And you know this is true. You don't need me to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you. It takes huge emotional capital, huge emotional strength to every morning pick up the box or the bag that has all of your grudges in it and to carry those around with you all day. And you do that every day, and it just wears you out. And, and when I talk about things like peace and and being a peacemaker, you're like, Brett, I can't even conceive. Well, no, because you've got, you got a handful of things that you're holding against people, and that, none of that gets better until you set that down, and you become a peacemaker. And here's the thing. They're not the ones who benefit when you cancel out their, their balance. They're not the ones who benefit. You benefit. You don't have to carry that around anymore. You're free. And that brings peace. Which brings us to today. Today we're going to conclude this series and we're talking about this verse that we read at Christmas time. It's one of the verses that is contained in, in the some 300 verses that are prophecies about Jesus. I shouldn't say 300 verses. There are 300 prophecies in our Hebrew Bible about Jesus. 300. Just let that sink in for a minute. Um, every single, single one of those prophecies were fulfilled and every one of those prophecies were pretty detailed. They're about his birth, they're about his life, they're about his death, 
And, and they're done with amazing detail. Now, I don't spend a lot of time uh, on this this morning in this sermon because actually <clears throat> I talked about this about three months ago in August. We did a series called I've Got Questions. And I spent one whole day basically talking about scripture and prophecy and Jesus fulfilling them and the odds of that. And there's, it's, it's, I thought it was an interesting sermon. You may want to go back and listen to that. But there are people that are really good at something called qualitative analysis. Do you know what that is? How many of you were good at word problems in math class? I hate you. I'm sorry. It's Christmas. I shouldn't say that. I was horrible at that. When, we had, when that segment in our math book came up and I had homework and, and it was word problems, I knew I wasn't going to get to play outside that afternoon because I had to do my homework first, and then I could go outside and play, and I just knew I was gonna be, it was going to be 9 o'clock, and I would still be staring at a page because I couldn't figure out the word problems. Qualitative analysis people are really good at that. So they, they, this guy wrote this book, and, and he was a qualitative ana- an analyst, and he, he started thinking about what would it look like if one person, what are the odds that one person fulfills 300 scriptures, very detailed scriptures about his coming? So they started with eight, the odds of if that person fulfilled eight of the prophecies. Not 300, just eight. It came out to 10 to the 17th power. That is 100,000 trillion. Wrap your head around that. A trillion is a thousand billion. So 100,000 trillion is a thousand thousand billion. Can you imagine having that much money? I mean, you know, at some point, it's just a lot. You know, at some point when we were little kids, when we talked about numbers like that, we just, we ran out of words for it. We just called it a bajillion. That's a lot. And they said for eight, for just eight of those to be true, you'd have a one and you'd have 18 zeros after it. 10 to the, to the, that's not saying it right, 10 to the 17th power. So let's think about if there were just 48 prophecies that were fulfilled, not 300, just 48. What, what, if, what would that come out to? It comes out to 1 to the, or I'm sorry, 10 to the 157th power. I don't even have a word to give you for that. But it wasn't just 48 that he fulfilled. He fulfilled 300. That's a, I mean, it's just, it's mind-boggling. So now you can believe what you want to about Jesus, but here's what I believe about Jesus. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. Everything that the Bible says about him is true. He is the Son of God. Because when he fulfills 300 scriptures, man, he is who he says he is. We're going to look at just one of the 300 that we find it in, and that's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For, un, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, say it with me, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. In the Hebrew, there, there's, that's two words. The two words are Sar Shalom. Sar Shalom. Sar, the first part of that, the English translation of that is where we get the word prince, but I hate to tell you that's a horrible, that's not the best translation of the word. Um, It's kind of a weak translation, to be honest. What Sar literally means is the one in charge. That's what it means. The one in charge, the commander, the general, the boss. 
See, we, we hear Prince and we think Prince Charming. I don't, I don't know about you, but when I hear Prince, I don't think strong, mighty, dirty. I don't think any, I think, I, I kind of think effeminate, um, no dirt under their fingernails, probably not going to help you out in a fight. Entitled, spoiled, pampered, soft. I don't, you know, we think Prince Charming, <laughs> When we think prince, that's, that's, I don't, I don't, that's not the best way to look at this idea of Sar Shalom. This word means more than royalty. It means Lord, chief, general. It's important to know that because of where we're going to go in just a little bit. The Romans would use the word Sar. They changed it. it was, to them, it was Tsar. And then that's where they got the idea of Caesar. That's where that word comes from. Same word, it just means ruler, the one in charge. You're probably more familiar with the word shalom. That's a Jewish greeting. You know, that means peace, contentment, tranquility, wholeness, completeness. So when you put that together, it means he is the Lord. He is the captain of peace. He is the Lord of peace. He is the general commander of peace. The one in charge of contentment. He is the Lord of peace, the, the, the peace, the, the prince of peace. And here's the one thing I want to make sure you nail down in your heart and mind this morning, and that is that Jesus is peace. He is the captain of it. He possesses it. It's not something that he has that he gives away. He is it. That's, that's what he is. Jesus is peace. Peace is Jesus. If I was going to tell you about peace, I may as well just preach to you about Jesus because they're one and the same, which makes a lot of verses make sense. We've been reading some verses in this in this series, and, and I'm going to go back and just give you four real quick. Now that you know what Sar Shalom is, and you plug that into it, now you go, oh, that's, that kind of supercharges that verse. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, the next two words, my peace. My peace. It's not something I can get for you. I am it. I am peace. Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified, what does justified mean? just as if I'd never sinned. Since we have been made just as if we'd never sinned, if we've been justified through faith, and because of that we have peace with God, how do you get peace? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that it says Lord Jesus Christ, and peace comes through him. Why? Because he doesn't possess it, he is it. It doesn't come from anywhere else. Psalm 4, verse 8, In peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, which means it can't be found anywhere else. Countries have tried it. Treaties have tried it. Pills have tried it. A lot of things have tried to bring peace, but you'll never find it. You will never find it because look at the end of the verse. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And then the last one, Psalm 29, 11. The Lord gives strength to his people, the Lord blesses his people with peace. Why? Because he is that. He, he, if you have him, you have it. Last week I read a verse to you. I want to go back to that again today. It's, it says it perfectly. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. It's where we're going to start. Now you have to understand that when Paul wrote Ephesians, he's trying to mend a rift between the Gentiles and the Jews. He's trying to pull these two groups together. So some of what you hear is written with that in mind. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself, that means Jesus, he himself is, not has, he is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. 
He himself is our peace. So there is the, here's the big idea of the day. It is impossible for you and I to have total peace without powerfully connecting authentically, genuinely, powerfully in a relationship with Jesus. You're not going to have peace, perfect peace, powerful peace, peace that sustains you and takes you through hardship. You're not going to have it any other way, the way you could if you had it with Jesus. You know, if you were to go out and ask people to define peace, you would get several different responses. One of the responses you would get is, well, it's, a, it's an emotion, it's a feeling, which it's, it's really not that. I think the most common thing you would hear is that it's the absence of conflict, which is a cool answer, but that's not really true either because I can, you know, there's no guarantee that if you take conflict away that you're instantly going to have peace. There's not, there, it's not automatic. So, so here's how I want you to think of it. It's not the absence of something. It's the presence of something. And in fact, I would say it different than that. It's not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. If you want peace, it's not about you know, getting rid of something that's stealing peace in your life as much as it is about taking something on. Really, better said, having him brings you more peace. The goal this morning <clears throat> is for you to know personally the Sar Shalom. How do I know him? Because if you do, peace is going to be the byproduct of that. So in other words, you don't pursue peace anymore, you just pursue Jesus. And when you pursue Jesus, when you've got him, you've, he is peace. Peace isn't the absence of something, it's the presence of someone. When, when the storm is going on around you and Jesus is in your boat, I could look at you and you'd say, dude, I'm fine. This boat is rocking. I don't know if we're going to get to shore or not, but it's okay because I got Jesus, right? I've met a lot of people in my world when their boat was rocking, they were not able to say that. They were grabbing on, white-knuckling it for dear life. Oh, help me somebody. But when you've got Jesus, your attitude is different. He's there. So what do we do with that? I want to give you three truths this morning. Three truths that, and if you will do, if you will focus on these three things, I promise you, I promise you, you will come into more peace in your life. You will have more peace. You won't have to work on it. You won't have to try to find it. It'll just be the byproduct of you doing it. You will say, I've found it because I've found him. So if he is the Lord of tranquility, if he is the Sar Shalom, if he is the Prince of Peace, here's the key to activating this in your own life. And that is, you can't just know him. You can't just talk about him. You can't just call him that. That doesn't work. That's not going to give you peace. You have to get under the lordship of Christ. You have to get under the lordship of Christ. There are a lot of us who would like for him to be the one who gives us peace, but we're not willing to come under the lordship of Christ. Brett, what does that mean? It, it means that, that you, it's, think of it in terms of a canopy and there's bad weather and you, you know, you, you're going to get up underneath this shelter to be sheltered from whatever elements are falling out of the sky. You're protected. That can't get to you because you're, you're up underneath. Regardless of what the weather is, you're not going to get wet. What's going on around you does not affect you because you've 
you, you've hunkered down on, into this thing. When it got cold, when, Thursday night, when it got really cold, what you did is you came into your shelter where that couldn't, couldn't get to you. I want to tell you a story about Dee Dee and I going to Faster Horses. Every July, Dee Dee and I go to Faster Horses. Now, I need to, this was 2019. I need to explain some things about this picture. <laughs> Doesn't Dee Dee look pretty? She's so, golly, I'm so lucky. She's so pretty. Oh, she's pretty. Um, I look like I'm stoned. I've not had a drop of alcohol. I just want you to know. In this picture, I've not had a drop of alcohol. I might have a contact high because that was going on all around us. I mean, I tell people when I go to Faster Horses, I'm going up to be with 50,000 of my closest redneck friends. Uh, there's all kinds of things happening at this festival. We are not partaking, but we are sure enjoying the show, okay? So, and I need to explain this outfit because that, you're not going to catch me preaching in that. About a week before this, or not, not a week, about a month before this, I get, we're, we're on this text uh, group text with her family because we go up there and her brother lives in Michigan and we go up and we stay with them. They live about two hours or two minutes from this venue and we're able to go. Well, and they're a fun family. I just love that. I love her brother and his family. So about a month before we're supposed to go up there, we, I get a group text. Dee and I are sitting on the couch and we both get it at the same time and they want to wear rompers one of the nights of the festival. And I'm like, dear God, Please don't make me wear a romper. It became very clear that I was going to have to buy a romper, so um, I tried to find the most flattering one I could find, and that's what came up. So we were the talk of the festival. Let me show you a group picture. We all had them on, so you can kind of see. They all had themes. Some of them were atomic cats, and it was all it was crazy. Um, so it was a fun night. Okay, fun night. We're watching the concerts. It's, if you've ever been to a festival, it's just show after show after show. There's a show, there's a break while they reset the stage. There's another show. So toward the end, the, the, the concert of the night is Zach Brown Band. We're looking forward to Zach Brown concert. And the guy that played before him, and I can't remember who it was, he's playing what starts to rain during that show. And, and so we're just like, oh, it's okay. It's just sprinkling. We're just going to sit out in it. We're, it's raining. No problem. We can handle it. So it's, we're getting wet. Then there's intermission, they're resetting the stage, and then the guy that runs the whole thing comes out and he says, hey, listen, guys, he said, when we do these, we, we've really got to be careful of the weather. We're monitoring the weather, and we're, we're being told that there's really foul weather coming, and we're going to have to move. You, you need to leave this venue. Now, out of 40 or 50,000, I'd say 80% of these people are camping. So they're going to have to go back to their campground in a tent. We're just two minutes from the venue. We're really close. Her brother lives in a really cool place, and we're, we're not far. So we're, now we're being sent back. It's a mile walk to the car. I'm not joking. It's a mile. So we're walking, and it's raining, and then all of a sudden the heavens opened up. And I'm talking frog, frog drowner, frog drowner, Right? This was the result by the time we got to the car. <laughs> I take a shower just about every day of my life. I don't know how to quantify or qualify wetness. 
I'm wetter in that picture than I've ever felt in my life. I mean, it's just, you just, we felt, I was just drenched. I was kind of cold. It caught a little bit of a chill. The weather kind of dropped a little bit. And that's, we're standing right next to the car. And, you know, it's pouring while they're taking this picture. And I'm like, please take the picture. I'm really glad I've got it now because I'm using it, obviously. But so here's the point. The next thing that happened was we got inside the car. We got some T-shirts or whatever, and we dried ourselves off. We got some heat circulating in the car, warmed up a little bit, but we were sheltered. We were, we were out of the storm. It didn't matter what happened on the outside now. We had protection. Lightning, you know, whatever was going to happen was going to happen. It wasn't going to bother us because now we had shelter. A lot of people call him Lord, but they're not up sheltered. They're not under the canopy of his lordship. He has to be Lord of all. Josh McDowell, when I was in college, there was a guy named Josh McDowell. He was a, what we call an apologist. He was an author. He traveled around to college campuses and talked about faith and um, just a prolific, really a good speaker. And one of the things that I heard him say when I was in, in Bible college was everyone wants a savior, not everyone wants a Lord. Whew. Think about that. Everyone wants a savior. Not everyone wants a Lord. We want the benefits of the death of Jesus. We don't want the authority of Jesus in our life where he's, he's kind of saying, hey, that's out of bounds. I don't know that I want you doing that. Don't participate in that. That's not, that's not good for you. We don't want a Caesar. Think about a 14-year-old boy. He's living with his parents. He wants to be chauffeured around. He wants to be driven. He's playing soccer. He wants mom and dad to pay for his soccer cleats, his soccer Shin guards, you know, girl playing softball, she wants all the bats, all the gloves, all that stuff. They want us to pay for all that stuff. What they don't want is they don't like to be told what to do. They don't like having a boss. They don't like having parents. You're not the boss of me. Oh, but I am the boss of you, right? And they push back, and they don't like it. And a lot of Christians call him Lord, but they, they never move up under the canopy, under the control or the power to allow him to make decisions in their life and, to, and to, to let him do that and for them to just take a back seat to Jesus. And, and somehow people want to do that and still expect God to bless them. And then when he doesn't bless them, you hear somebody say something like, well, he didn't do what he promised. Well, did you make him Lord? Because if you, if you had made him Lord, the chances are good that he, you probably wouldn't have heard the, the promise the same way, for one. Acts 10, verse 36, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Now, we, if we were writing that verse, we would, there's a comma there. If we were writing that, we would put a period there. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace peace through Jesus Christ. But there's not a period, there's a comma there, and then there's five more words. Who is Lord of all? Well, what does that mean? Brett, can I do anything I want and still have peace? No. No. Will I go to heaven? I, that's not for me to say. I don't know what your relationship with Jesus is like. That's between you and him. I, I have a there's someone that I'm connected to on Facebook. You know, you get, they call them friends. 
I haven't literally spoken to this person in I can't remember how long. They're prominent on my feed, which tells you something right there. They want, they're, they're, they want to be seen, and they are seen by me a lot. And again, it's Facebook. I can only garner so much by, I'm on the outside looking in of their life, and I realize Facebook is not the greatest way to be able to tell, but it's the only way I can tell with this person what's going on. And as I see that Facebook experience, let's call it that, I see someone searching. One day there's a scripture. One day there's a picture of their liquor cabinet. One day there's a picture of them doing yoga. One day there's a, there's, you know, there's a dirty joke. One day... Um, they're telling an experience about some sexual encounter. One day, it, I mean, it's, it's a lot of different things. And, you know, the, the first thought that hits me is, look at me, look at me, look at me. And then the second thought that hits me is not a lot of peace there. There's not a lot of stability there. There's not, there, I, I, don't, I would not say that that person has been brought up under the authority of, of Jesus. Now, it's not for me to say. I don't have. It's not my relationship. I'm just. That's for you to decide. I'm just telling you as the way I look at it and the way I watch it. I'm like I. If I had having a trying to be under the canopy of the authority of Christ, I would not do that. First of all, and I wouldn't want that on my Facebook page. But they do, and that's okay. A lot of people want the benefits of relationship. They don't necessarily want to recognize the hierarchy of the relationship with Jesus. I love my kids. Love, love, love my kids. And when my kids were little, if they had been good, if they had been obedient, if they were a joy to me, and we were out, say, at Walmart, you know, there's certain times, you know what it's like with your kids in the store. They find these things that they want, right? And they come up to you with this smile and this look on their face. Daddy. And it's usually one of those things that you were tempted to look at him and say, well, you know, Christmas is coming. Or, you know, your birthday's coming. That's, it's a Christmas gift. It's a birth, it's, that's the kind of thing we give them for their birthday. But once in a while, I always got a big kick out of it. And I didn't do it a lot. But once in a while, if they had something like that and they'd see it and they'd been good, They'd been obedient. They, you know, they tried really hard to do the things I was telling them to do. They hadn't given me any trouble. They hadn't been rebellious. They were, they, they prepared my heart. They would come with this thing, and it was sometimes expensive, like a big thing, like a Christmas kind of thing. And I'd say, throw that in the cart. Really? Yeah. We're gonna take that home today. Really, Dad? Really? You know why? Because you've prepared my heart for it. You've, you've, you've put yourself under my authority. When I tell you to do something, you do it. You try to please me. You try to, you try to be a good son. You try to be a good daughter. Now, the other side of that conversation is you've been a rascal. You haven't been obedient. You've talked back. You haven't done anything that you've been told. And if you do do it, you do it with an attitude. You come up to me with the Christmas gift then, I'm going to say, that'd make a great gift for Christmas. Put that back on the shelf, Right? because they haven't prepared my heart to bless them in that way. Every single one of us have called him Lord. And every single one of us have, at one point or another, stepped outside the authority of his lordship. And when we have, frog drowner. I've done it. I've stepped outside the authority of Jesus, and when I did, 
soaked, miserable, no peace. And God's like, listen, Brett, we can do this one of two ways. You can get up under the lordship of Jesus and you can have all kinds of peace, or you can step out here and it becomes a nightmare. You don't want that. Nothing outside the lordship of Jesus has ever brought me peace. Never. You get out from the canopy of the lordship of, of, his, of Jesus and it's just turmoil. And you're like, well, Brett, can't I just come back on Sunday and pray a prayer and, and be at peace? No, it doesn't work like that. Can I yell at my spouse and my kids and read my Bible and have some peace? No, it doesn't work like that. You can't do both of those things. You've got to come up under the lordship of his, the, the, the canopy of his lordship, under the, the righteousness of that canopy, the right standing with God, which is not something you get for yourself. That's something that Jesus provides for you. This right standing with God comes from him. Scripture says, none are righteous, not one. Now I want to show you a verse. I want you to see this as a promise, okay? Isaiah 32, verse 17. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. I dare you to try this. Submit your marriage, submit your finances, your morals, your actions, your will, your ways to the lordship of Jesus. And then look what its effect will be the quietness and confidence forever. And if you do that, you will not get wet up underneath the shelter. You will have placed yourself up underneath the, the canopy of the lordship of Christ. My people, verse 18, will live in peaceful dwelling places and secure homes in undisturbed places of rest. Now, I ask you, who wouldn't sign up for that? Here's my challenge. Don't just know shalom. Get up under the canopy of peace. Recognize him as sar shalom. Here's the second thing. I think you're thinking, man, we're only on point two. We're almost done. Trust me. We're almost done because I got to get out of here. Bring Jesus into every situation. Bring Jesus into every situation. Let me say it this way. If your marriage is in trouble, bring Jesus into it. If your finance is in trouble, bring Jesus into it. If your home in trouble, bring Jesus into it. I think the problem is that we compartmentalize. We come in on a Sunday, we put on our Sunday stuff, we get our Sunday attitude, we get all that stuff. We walk out after church is over, and then we start preparing ourselves to be who we are at work on Monday morning. That's, I don't want you to do that. My goal at Cross Lane is not to get everybody to look the same, talk the same, pray the same, vote the same. That's not my goal. My goal is to get you in here, to let you have an experience with Jesus Christ, that he would come into, that you would be loved by him. And when you're loved by him, your heart starts to change. You are transformed over time so that when you leave here, you don't leave and take off your church clothes and put on your work clothes and go to work and you're a whole different person. But when you leave here and you go to work on Monday morning, you're the same person you were in here. And that shows because your heart's been transformed. Bring Jesus into your shopping. Bring Jesus into your Facebook conduct. Bring Jesus into your bowling league. And for crying out loud, somebody bring Jesus to I-70. Please. <laughs> Things can happen. People can be so hateful. They can say the meanest things. They can do these, these, these passive-aggressive digs at you. On social media, and, and you know what's meant by that, you have a choice. 
You can get all twisted up by it. You can participate. You can bite back. You can say mean things back. Or you can bring Jesus into it. And usually if you bring Jesus into it, he's going to say, walk away. Don't, don't answer that. Walk away. You know, we talk about the secular, secular life and the spiritual life. Talk about Christian music and regular music. You'll have more peace when it all just becomes one thing, when, you, when your life is just thinking about Jesus all the time. When, when there's not the one or the other and you're not trying to live in two worlds, you're just living in one world and you're trying to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, I challenge you to try that. Here's what Scripture says. We're almost done. Second Thessalonians 3. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. On just Sundays? No, that's not what it says. It says at all times in every way the Lord be with all of you, take him home, take him, bring him with you. Have him show up in every part of your world. I love Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then Paul says this, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Don't just come in here and hear it. Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So you're, you're wondering, what's the disconnect? Why, why at Christmas time do I see all these Christmas words, but I don't feel peace? And you say, Brett, I've been a Christian a long time. I've never had peace, love, and joy in my heart the way I want to. I've never had it. It's always been a struggle. It could be that you've never brought yourself up underneath the Lordship of Christ. It also means you need to start bringing Jesus out of your Sunday experience and into your Monday morning experience, even your darkest days. Did you know there are 31,103 verses in your Bible? Did you know that? 31,103, which means, that's an odd number, so that means that there are a set amount of verses and then there's one verse and then there's an, an equal set on the back side of that one verse. To be specific, there are 15,551 verses of Scripture, and then there's a singular verse, which would, which would mark the exact center of your Bible. And then there's another 15,551 words, uh, verses. Do you know what that middle verse says? You're about to. I'm about to read it to you. You ready? You want to see it? Isaiah 26, verse 3. This is the very center of your Bible. You will keep in perfect peace. Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. I love the way that New King James says it. Those whose minds are stayed on him. Here's the last point. Keep your mind on Jesus. Keep your mind on Jesus. Think about him, talk about him, brag on him, worship him, praise him, sing to him. Think about him, read about him. Think about him constantly, and if you do, you will experience peace. I want you to see this last verse. I'm going to close. This is my Christmas blessing over you as a church family this morning. Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at me. I love you. I love you. I hope you have a great Christmas. Let's pray. Father, as we leave this space, 
And we're going to go to all different kinds of situations. As we leave this space, I pray, Father, that we take Jesus with us. I pray that he is on our mind constantly. I pray that we are focused on bringing ourselves under his authority and his lordship, that we do not say something that would offend him or you, that we would not hurt other people with our actions, but that we would be in protection mode of the people around us because that's what Jesus did. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to think like Jesus. Help us to hear his voice. And Father, as we leave this space to go enjoy this special, blessed, holy day tomorrow, we just worship you, honor you, recognize you as our King and our Lord. May you receive our praise this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.